today's episode, we focus on not letting perfect become the enemy of being good, how to find those who are intrinsically motivated in recruiting, and lastly, our responsibility as coaches to help our young people. And joining me to discuss all of those things is the running backs coach at Bowdoin College, Kevin Loney. Kevin, it's great to have you here. Coach, great to have you. Great to be here. Um, it's an honor. I'm a big, big fan of the uh, the podcast. I listen all the time. Um, so it's uh, this is a it's a huge honor. Thank you so much, Coach. We're going to dig into it and and get to the beginning of this for you. Is the as far as the why and exactly when that happened for you that you wanted to become a football coach? Yeah. So it, uh, so I I went to high school in Connecticut, Xavier High School, Middletown, Connecticut. Um, Played for a great high school coach named Tony Jascott. Um, he, I was actually a senior on his, his final high school, his final team. Um, had a great experience playing for him. We were not uh, the program we wanted to be, um, but there were some things as a, as a player, as a young player that I saw. Um, I loved the way that he coached. Um, but the things that I saw that were always interesting. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we talked about as a team all the time was, you know, don't make excuses and, and, and be accountable. And then you'd see some times where people around our program would not do that stuff. And so it, that always clicks with you. And what it, what it stuck with me over the years, I, I was talking to a, a, one of the guys that I, that I played with and, and ended up coaching at that, in that program when I first had in the coaching was our players they hear what we say and they see what we do and we're the model. We have to be the model. So um, that for me was a big thing was, okay, if I, I wanted to be a high school teacher, that was what I wanted to be, you know, coming out of high school, I got out of college. Um, and so we go back and coach my high school. Um, and the irony was I, the op- I, I, I couldn't do it because for, for whatever reasons, um, but, I, I got into coaching at the end of my senior year of high school. The cool part was Connecticut is one of the few, is really the only state in the Northeast that actually, in, that actually has spring football um, as an option. Uh, they still do. And so uh, I got to coach spring football with the new head coach, a guy named Tim Fessler, who is a high school coach um, in the state still, uh, he actually part of the National Football Foundation up there in Connecticut, so one of the branch, one of the chapters there. Um, and he gave me an opportunity to hop out. And so I would do over the summers. I, I then went to Dickinson College and played for Darwin Bro um, for a couple of years. My my junior and senior year, I was on the team. My sophomore year helped out. It was a kind of a manager after injury. But um, you know, I'd go home and help break down film. I'd help run the, the strength program, all that kind of stuff. And, but I got a chance to really get into it, the nitty gritty of it, and I fell in love with it. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So early on in your career, you, you know, you're a GA, you have some great opportunities there. As you yeah. look through those early years, who really were your mentors and what were some of the key lessons that you took away that really have become part of who you are as a coach now? Yeah, for sure. So, um, like you said, I had, I had a lot of really interesting experiences. I worked with some, some guys early on in my career. It's funny. I look at back at some of our staffs that I was on. So my first college job was at Norwich university. Um, I worked for a guy that I played for in college named Mike Desalonia, but on our staff, uh, it's kind of, so on that staff, we had 
the guy who now Bob Chesney, Bob and I, Bob who's the head coach at Holy Cross, Bob and I are actually we're actually college teammates. Um, his D coordinator, Scott James, we were all on the same staff together. Uh, and um, we stayed in close contact, obviously, Bob and I, especially because, you know, obviously we, get, we were actually in a lot of classes together as well, same major, which is hilarious. Um, and from there, you know, I went to, went to Wesleyan, um, worked with some guys there. John Rabel, who's actually not coaching football anymore, he's actually a lacrosse, lacrosse coach at Wesleyan. Um, just the way John carried himself, just his, you know, his personality, nothing ever really hurt him. He always had a, he always kept things in perspective. But that, that was a great way to kind of go through things. Um, and Frank Hauser, who's our head coach at the time, Frank is still in, in the NESCAC right now. He's the offensive coordinator at, at Tufts. And, and Frank just, Frank always understood just the way that the, the thing to make sure things operated and to be as organized as humanly possible. Um, and that was a great experience as well. And then leaving there, going to kind of what changed my, my coaching career, honestly, um, was a guy named Tim Weaver. Um, Weave is uh, the defensive coordinator now at Brown. And Weave, and this is something that doesn't ever happen, but he did it. Um, he gave a guy who he didn't know an opportunity to be a coordinator, which never happens um, in college football. And so um, I had just, I had sent my resume out. For a job, he took the, uh, the defensive coordinator. He took the head job at uh, Bethany College in West Virginia. Um, looking for a young coach, and he, I, I went out there, I interviewed, and Joe figure he offered me an opportunity to be his defensive coordinator. Um, and I learned, a, I learned the Tampa two defense from Tim, um, and learned really how to be a lot more situational football, situational awareness. Um, and, and that was an amazing thing for me from an X's and O standpoint. And we really began to work on turning a program around. And, and really in a one, in one year's time, we went from, they had, I think they had three wins in three previous years. We won four games in our first year there. Um, and, and Bethany was kind of a unique place. And, and in fact, uh, the head coach there now, Bill Garvey, was our office coordinator. Bill's an awesome guy. Uh, he's a bunch of guys that are still around that program that were part of that staff back in 2006. And they're, I mean, and they're doing a great job, you know, and um, it was, a, it was pretty cool to kind of watch just how the dynamic of how that's, we operated the staff, just the organ, again, organization, but as how we work together as coordinators, just that, you know, playing complimentary football, just even through spring practice, making sure that, Hey, here are all the things we got to make sure we deal with from a situational football standpoint. And let's make sure we hit all of these topics through our 16 spring practices, through the preseason, so that when you get into a game scenario, it's not the first time you hit those things. And honestly, I had never done any of that before. Um, even if we did, I didn't never, it never clicked in my head that way. And so like to this day, that's stuff that I always look at when I'm coaching my players and talking about situational awareness, situational football situations. I mean, even in, in like my meeting time with my guys, I'll take, we'll take five minutes and go over, hey, Let's hit this situation. Let's talk about this scenario, this situation, so that when it happens in a game, it's not the first time they've seen it. Um, and so I think that's a really big thing that's, that's been good for me. And then from there, you know, Timmy, Tim actually, he'd worked with a guy who um, then was working at Notre Dame. And that's how I ended up getting the, the Notre Dame situation. And, and then we get situational football on steroids because obviously Coach Weiss had just come from the Patriots. And so – and if you're working with Coach Belichick, that's all they do with situational awareness stuff. Um, and so we spent a lot of time on that, and it was great. So I know 
now you're in a running backs role, but you know, prior to this, you know, it's been a lot on the defensive side of the ball and you, you also had the opportunity um, to be the head coach and looking at, yeah. you know, your, your experiences along the way. Um, yeah. Again, you learn and you grow. What have big, been some of the biggest things in your development as you've progressed through uh, these different stages of your career? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you're never, and you don't know what you don't know. Um, it's funny, Trevor Moad, if you read his book, It Takes What It Takes, they talk about the four stages of competence, right? There's like that, uh, you know, unconsciously incompetent, you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot that when I became a head coach, I did not know I was not ready to be a head coach. Um, and it showed my first couple of years. And we started beginning to kind of figure some things out along the way. And then, you know, uh, thankfully, you, you hopefully you surround yourself with, with, with good people. Um, and you hope you, you learn that that's one of the things I think is you put your staff together, you, you make sure you have good people who, who know more than you about whatever they're doing and that you can, that you can really count on, that you can really trust. Don't think you can do it all yourself because you, because you can't know that when you're a head coach, you probably are not going to do nearly as much, especially when you think of a program where you don't have a lot of resources, you're not going to be able to do as much football as you want to. Um, because you're just you're dealing with a lot of other stuff. And, I, you know, one of the challenges my three years at Nichols, I had a different D-line coach for all three seasons that I was there. Um, and all three guys were part-time guys. So probably like the highlight of my day for three years was I basically ran the D-line meetings. And I um, so and that was probably like the highlight of my day for three years. Um, cause those guys, if, you know, during training camp couldn't get practice because of the schedule sometimes. So I, I take that time and I do that stuff. Um, and you're, oh, and that's, you're just, you're putting out fires, you know, you, you're not really getting to do all the X's and O's that you were doing as a coordinator, as a, as a position coach. Um, and, you know, um, quite honestly, um, I burnt out. Um, cause you, you forget sometimes, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and because you're sitting there, you're dealing with this, and this kid's doing this in the classroom, this kid's doing this, and financial aid this, financial aid that, or whatever it's going to be, admissions this, and it's like, okay, you know, take that giant step backwards to realize, okay, why are we doing this? What's going on? Uh, what's really important? You know, who's most, are we doing what's right for the kids? Because that's the most important piece. Um, if you don't get to go back and realize what's your the whole what's your why piece, right? Once you can get back to figuring all of those bits and pieces out, it, things get a lot easier. Recognizing coach coach speak, what can you actually control? We, we had a team meeting last night, and uh, Coach Hammer, our head coach, he talked about you know your one word focus. What's your one word? His thing is hey, his focus is going to be just focusing on what we what he can control, and, and it is so. It's, it's such a truism, you know, and it, it seems such, like such a simple thing, but you actually, we actually have to do it as coaches because we want to take on the world, but hey, just focusing on what you can control. And I didn't learn that until it was too late as a head coach. And um, I do it now until it's so much easier. Um, so. Yeah, I, I can relate to that idea of, you, you know, you get into that head coaching position, you work so hard for it. And, and so for me, it, it was a point in my career. I was a head high school coach for eight years, and uh, 
except for one place, some really tough programs that were rebuilders and required a lot of attention. And, you know, I found myself in a situation then when I got to go to the college level at, at Baldwin Wallace and just be the quarterback's coach. And that was only for one year, and I got promoted the next year to coordinator. Mm-hmm. But I can say that year in stepping back and being able to just focus on one position, not worry about the whole program, actually not worry about, you know, the 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 whole game plan, those kinds of things, and just focus on coaching my guys was so refreshing. Yeah. Like, it, it, it did, oh it rejuvenated where I was at, rejuvenated so my career. Right. So – Here's what happened to me. So we get let go at Nichols, and I am just sitting around like I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't know what I'm going to do. And then a high school in my conference in Connecticut, West Haven High School, and um, people in Connecticut, you know, it's a it's a, it's a program that that has been a powerhouse for a long time. Head coach at the time would had been the winningest head coach in the state of Connecticut. He's getting ready to retire. Didn't nobody knew it, and. Um, again, Ed McCarthy, and Ed had been around for a long, long time. I'd recruited his high school forever, and uh, so he's looking for a defensive coordinator. The guy who was there was the guy who I'd known. I actually tried to recruit out of high school, ended up going. He ended up, you know, ended up being a Division One player and all kind of stuff. But, um, so I go down and I, I meet with him. And the one thing I knew about the program was their kids loved to play football, and so. Uh, you know, we sit down and talk about it, and um, I said, you know what? I'll give it a shot. You know, it wasn't a you're not doing it for the money. It wasn't a great, but the great the great thing was it was a bunch of really good kids who loved football. And after three years of you know pulling teeth and trying to find a nucleus of guys who really cared about football, literally two days into spring football, like a junior linebacker walks up in the middle of school with his coach. He goes, when can you find time to watch some film and get on the board and talk talk? And I'm like, holy cow. I said, I said three years, the last year trying to get kids to do that. But here's a kid in high school asking for it. And all of a sudden, like, you're just, like you said, you're just refreshed. And so I, you, I just ran the defense for a year and just like, okay, you felt just so good. You have to worry about all your stuff. Just relax and have fun and just go back to doing what you do. And you, and and then when I got to Bowdoin the next fall, really next spring, you get to sit around this and be around the guys. And I think I was telling some other guys the other day, is I can't wait for this COVID thing to be over because I really do miss being around our guys. And just going and sitting, at a, sitting in the dining hall and not even hang out with them as much, and just watching them interact with each other. That to me is one of the coolest things about, you know, college football. Because seeing these guys just be around each other, because they are a great group of guys to be around, and that's the thing that keeps coming back. So all the stuff you deal with on a day-to-day basis, you know, all the the meetings and, and the trainings and all those stuff. The, the refreshing part is when your guys are hanging out together and just being themselves and being just being great teammates, you know, um, and then after a hard workout or after uh, after a tough practice or after they get them winning the game, you know, hanging out at, at a post-game tailgate with the parents, whatever. And that's the thing that that, that, you, that, that keeps coming back. You know, that's what you want. So. Yeah, definitely. Now, I know the NESCAC um, from, from having, you know, some guys I coach with being 
there now. Uh, definitely a unique situation. High academic schools. You're looking mm-hmm. for uh, a certain type of guy in recruiting. Um, you're yeah. faced with, you know, everybody right now is is on the phones and not able to get off campus. But that's the other than the summer getting to, to camps. Um, that's kind yeah. of the the normal mode of operation there in the NESCAC. That you guys. Right. You know, you're not at, out at high schools all year long getting to know these kids. So the challenge in recruiting, whether you're at Bowdoin or in the NESCAC um, or, you know, whatever division in the country uh, has this unique thing that they have to have a certain kind of guy that's going to fit in their program, that's going to fit in their school. Um, you guys obviously have extremely high academic standards, which, you know, definitely, uh, you know, narrows that pool. But ultimately, you want to find that guy for you who – Right. is intrinsically motivated, uh, who, who is, is going to do things without having to be, um, you know, to be pushed, to be monitored, et cetera. And I think we all want that in our, our program for you. What's the key to finding that type of kid? Yeah, I think, honestly, it starts with, so we, I, we invest a lot of time asking high school coaches about the weight group um, because, you know, if anybody looks at, at Bowden's record over the last number of years, you know, let's be, it's nothing to, you, you can't hide from it. It is what it is. And the place and no one in the conference is getting worse. You know, Trinity's not getting worse anytime soon. William Bamber's not getting worse anytime soon. So for us to close the distance, the place that we've got, we feel we have to make our, our, our headway is going to have to be in the weight room. Schemes are schemes. It's going to, it's going to come down to us being physically better, Right more durable, strong, bigger, faster, stronger, so that when we do the stuff we do, we can be more explosive as, a, as individual players as a, as a team. So the weight room is going to be our critical piece. And so guys who are finding ways in the weight room, you know, who's the kid that, that found a way during COVID to, to get to, to, create, to make his own gym or to, to get to the gym somehow, to find an open gym? Or who's that kid? That's the kid we want. And before that, we were saying, hey, coaches, who's your guy that, you know, that's knocking on the door to get in the weight room? Who's the kid who's, who, who's, who's, who's doing things the right way there? Who's, who's pulling guys in the weight room? And who's, who's doing – that's the kind of kid we're looking for. Because, you know, that stuff is, A, it's contagious. Um, it's addictive. So the kid's not going to all of a sudden stop doing that stuff, right? Those are the guys that, you know, and, and then if, if he does that, and he's passionate about it, it's only going to add to it because um, that's, that's what we believe in. And you're going to be around a bunch of guys like that when you come here anyways. So the more kids like that we have, the better off we're going to be. Um, you know, and so that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, and then, you know, as we talk to – we'll talk to teachers too. We'll talk to people, you know, whoever. You know, like, um, I, I will – I mean, I go so far sometimes to talk to guidance counselors. I'll talk to – People and I still will call the front office sometimes and say, you know, I, you know, even the things that we used to do, like when we, well, you want know, to sort of go into high school with other schools. Hey, you know, yeah, ask the secretary in front desk. Right. Ask, ask the, you know, you, you can still ask those questions. Nothing stops you from doing that stuff. Doing the research and the, the thing now, you have the time to do it. So make the make the effort and because why not? Um, and then. I invest a lot. We invest a lot of time with the kids we're talking to about, you know, how are they handling all of this COVID stuff? How's your, how the family's handling it? How are they handling, you know, remote learning? Because those things are. Some kids are struggling with it. 
you know, some kids are, you know, I mean, we're doing a lot with, with, you know, and everyone's doing this, you know, doing stuff on Zoom and, and FaceTime and all that and really getting a feel for how kids are re- reacting and responding to all this stuff because each kid's different. And, and who, but who's resilient? Who's going to be, who can be a little bit, who's got the mental toughness, you know, component to it and, and who can, re- who can, re- who can respond. And um, I think it's, it's helping. Um, and obviously once they, you know, the, the kids, like the classes, been able to put together, uh, we're knocking on the wood and feel good about it. And um, hopefully we can keep doing it, do it again. A lot of times, and I'm sure you hear this in recruiting, um, you hear it in coaching, you hear it in parenting, you know, the idea of, of kids these days. And before you got going, you brought up, you know, uh, and you see it out there that I think it was a quote from like uh, one of the, the Greek philosophers um, that, yeah. that that has held true over time. Now, all the things that, you know, they may be into that are different. Of course, we didn't have social media growing up or anything like that, but there were there were other right. things, right? There's ultimately just something that the previous generation uh, didn't see, wasn't part of their lives, and you think that it's different, but this has been true over time. Absolutely. What, what's your thoughts just on, you know, that kind of mentality, but also – the things that we have to be responsible for as, as coaches, as, as people who are yeah. helping bring them up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and, and here's a story I'll, I'll tell you, because I think you at Oberg, I believe, when, when I first looked at the movie and I first met. Yes. Um, and, and, I, and I will tell you here, and I'll, I'll tell, I'll, I'll kind of answer the question by giving you the story. So I was, I was the recruiting coordinator at Wesleyan um, the three years that I was there. And my last year there, we were recruiting a kid whose parents worked in Hollywood. Um, and like no one that you, they would, you wouldn't know the names, but they're, they're, they're kind of big wits. And like they were working on like some syndicated TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And the way that we were doing our recruiting at the time, you know, they would do overnights and you would end your recruiting visit with a, with a, with a exit interview with the head coach. And that's where you would kind of wrap up all your final questions and, get your, if you were a kid who were going to support, you get your support offer or so on and so forth. And he's a kid who were going to support. And, and I remember that the, the Sunday, the, the kid walked out of the meeting before the meeting was over. He was furious. And, and he, he walked up to this coach to get, just get me out, get me away from my parents. I'm coming to, I'm coming to him. He was get me away from my parents. And he was furious. I was like, what's going on? He goes, is they're in there complaining to coach about money because we were rich and they're complaining about money. This is a high school kid. Now, now I don't know if they're, if they're rich or not rich, but on paper, it looks like they're rich because, you know, they're working in Hollywood. They're, you know, we all think, hey, if you're in Hollywood, you're a syndicate TV show, it looks great. And, but as far as he knew, you know, whatever. So I'll take him at his word. And what it, what's clicked in my head over the years is that kid's going to bring whatever baggage he's got at home to campus. And what I realized is, you know, the, the clientele, the, the people who, the, the kids of privilege, they're coming to schools like Oberlin, like Bowdoin. Um, and if they play sports, they're bringing their baggage with them. And so kids, all those kids, all these kids, they didn't, they didn't you know, they didn't ask for the baggage. All right. So they got it. And so for them to be at their best, for them to play their best, to be, to be their, the best student, best citizen they can be, best athlete they can be, we're going to have to help them. 
That's our responsibility. We can't throw them away and say, well, hey, we'll go recruit another kid. It doesn't work that way. We recruited this kid. He's our, he or she, that's our kid. If we take over a program, they're our kid. You know, it's kind of like the Mac Brown rule. You know, Mac Brown could have walked in North Carolina and said, you know what, I, we didn't agree these guys. Forget them. Well, no. There are, there are, there are players now. And, hey, this is how we're going to do things. And these are our standards. Meet them. And we're going to help meet them. We'll teach you how to, we'll teach you what it's going to take. And then we go from there. And, and that's the way, and that's the way it's got to, I think that's the way it has to be. And we, we're the the educators, we're the adults, we're the educators. Let's educate. Let's teach. And let's, let's build relationships. You know, I mean, one of our coaches, uh, Nate Scola is our, is our new uh, linebackers coach. Um, and he talks all the time about, you know, Jeff Vick's book, 3D coaching, you know, and that's, I think to me, that's a big part of it, right? It's about, you know, it's the, the whole being transformational coaches, really getting people to buy into the idea of, of, Hey, we're in this for the whole person, whatever it's going to take to get you to be the best self. Cause as much as we love this game, it's going to end. You know, I've been lucky enough to coach some guys who are in the NFL. Um, one of my one of my former players is just this guy is coaching the Buffalo Bills. You know, football, and he 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 was a, he walked he was an undrafted free agent, played nine years in the league with the same team, which is unheard of, and then he's now coaching, and he he was you know, chance to go play for the Super Bowl hopefully, you know, and um, but it, football is going to end at some point. What are you going to do with, with the rest of your life? We're going to coach you. To, we're teaching in every single phase in a way that, you know, the teacher in the calculus class can't, you know, and we can reach it. We see kids in a different way. So let's, let's do it. And that's our obligation. That's our responsibility. And especially because we brought them to campus more often than not. And that's the other challenge of, at the college level is, you know, kids aren't going to have the, the, the relationship with the professor necessarily that they have with their coach. That's the luxury of being a college athlete um, and being even high, high school level. You, those kids, you're with those kids um, a lot less than you want to be sometimes, um, but they, they're they vulnerable. They, they fail around you as coaches more than they do around their, their teachers. Um, and so that's a, that's a vulnerable spot for them to be in. And, and, it's a, and it's okay for us to be vulnerable with them as well and show them what it's like that there is okay and, and that it's just feedback and all that kind of stuff. So, Coach, I know you were part of uh, just a tremendous effort in helping a great cause and Warren's First and Goal Clinic. Typically, yeah. typically that's a camp that's been run every year and, and coaches go yep. out and donate their time. Well, we had to kind of flip our thinking and, and come up with some new ways. And yeah. so we were able to put together uh, just a tremendous clinic and uh, your your clinic talk um, continuing to benefit benefit Lawrence as it's been produced to a course on CoachTube, and uh, sales of that again uh, going to Lawrence first and goal, uh, which benefits pediatric brain tumor research and cancer services. Yeah. And you talked about keeping it simple, inside zone, and our prios for our listeners out there who weren't at the clinic. Um, what will they see in this clinic talk on CoachTube? Yeah, so just. Basically, we talked about, I talked about um, kind of our situation where, you know, our staff, you know, our offensive staff, our head coach came into Bowdoin, um, 
with only 17 practices to install an offense and defense. And so our philosophy of, hey, how do we get something to build confidence for our, our kids, to give them a chance to go out and play football and be confident to play, play as fast as possible and eliminate as much thinking as possible. So simple rules, simple philosophy, and, um, and also understanding what our personnel strengths were and what our personnel question marks were, what they would think our question marks were. So, um, you know, we had a really good tailback. Um, and if they, as they watch the, the clinic tape, they'll see we had a kid, number six, Nate Richem, who um, phenomenal athlete, uh, phenomenal young man as well. Um, and uh, so we got him, we, were, we wanted to feed him the rock a ton. And so inside zone was a, was a natural way to do it. And um, was a really good, really good back. Um, so you, you see us try to find a way to get him the ball as many ways as creatively as possible. And then, you know, throw some, some RPOs off of that just to get the ball down the field a little bit because um, everyone was going to focus on him because we knew that they knew he was the offense. And he still ran for almost 1,000 yards in a, in a nine-game season. Um, and he caught the ball a bunch as well. Um, and it was able to give us some opportunities offensively that um, we probably would not have had if we weren't as if we were a little more complicated schematically. So hopefully, hopefully it's simple enough for everybody to understand it, and, and if they want to ask questions and whatever, we're, like I said, I, you know, one of the cool things, one of the interesting things for us is, for me is I don't have any running backs on campus um, this spring, um, and uh, so I've got a lot of time in my hands to talk ball and. We're going to practice the guys we do have and go from there. Um, but on the side note, you know, uh, I've been part of Lawrence first and goal um, for a really long time. I only missed a handful of camps. I, I love John and, and Marianne and, and Lauren. They do a, um, it's an amazing family and amazing, um, amazing cause. And I'm um, glad to be part of it. I'm glad I could help out this year. Um, and uh, anything to help, I, I will drop whatever I'm doing. Coach, uh, as with all NESCAC schools, you guys recruit nationally. Um, what areas are you responsible for? So for those guys out there who have that high academic kid who would be a good fit for Bowdoin, uh, what areas yeah. do you recruit? Definitely, yeah. So we actually just uh, just shuffled some around this year. So um, I have Connecticut. Um, I have Minnesota. I have the DMV, which I just took over this year. I have Northern California. Uh, I have the Cab County in Georgia. Um, I have basically the Orlando area um, of Florida, um, and that's about where. And then any kind of any any running backs that are kind of out of the region um, as well, um, kind of out, they're out there a little bit. And the best way for coaches to connect with you. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Coach K A Loney, um, or if you want to email me, K L O N E Y at Bowdoin, B O W D O I N dot E D U. Um, those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. Kevin, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk ball with with us here on the podcast, and uh, thanks for all you've done for Lawrence and for the game as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. God bless everybody. Be safe. All right. Take care of business and let's go to the game. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new 
home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.